Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. We're carrying on our series in the Psalms. It's a little bit of a while ago, but we, we've been looking at the Psalms of the sons of Korah. Uh, but we're now, uh, there are four more of them in the uh, 80s, 84, 85, 87, 88, and we'll be looking at those over the next few uh, evenings, weeks. So Psalm uh, 84. That's on page 493, or if you've got the large blueprint, it's 583. Let's listen to these words of the Lord together. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm for the sons of Korah. How lovely! is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Amen. Do take up your Bibles again and turn back to Psalm 84. Now, the fulfilled life, the happy life, the good life, that's what we want, uh, isn't it? Many of our big decisions work towards that kind of goal. Uh, We take that job or we try and date that person, or we eat that kind of food, or we take up that hobby. It's all to kind of bring about the good life. But even as we aim for it, life doesn't always pan out as we wanted it to. You know, we're not as good at something as we hoped. We didn't get the dream job. A friend moves away. We get ill. Uh, the, the, the good life can just feel elusive, kind of distant. Yet here in Psalm 84, God holds it out to us. Here he calls it being uh, blessed. It's a phrase repeated through this psalm. I don't know if you noticed it. Verse 4, we got blessed are those. Verse 5, blessed are those. 
Verse 12, blessed is the one, blessed. Uh, Now, some people might say blessed just means happy. Now, that's a a phrase we've just sung, um, happy are those. Now, there's some truth in that, but I think perhaps that that word puts a little too much emphasis on our experience. I think to be blessed is much bigger than than just happy. Uh, Remember, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. You can't mourn and be happy at the same time, but you can mourn and be blessed at the same time. So I want to say being blessed is being found under God's favor. It's life under God as it should be, the, the good life. It might not always be experienced as happiness, because the blessed life, as we'll see, it's, it's bigger. It's bigger than just this moment. It has a, a longer view of life. It's deeply relational. It may include happiness, and we, we pray that it does. But it's not just about what I do, but it's about who I know. And actually, deep down, it's the life and experience we long for. It's what a blessed life is. But what is that life? What is the blessed life? Well, uh, this psalm's profound and central answer is this. Blessed are those who dwell with God. Blessed are those who dwell with God. Verses 1 to 4. Our song tonight opens with this glorious hymn of praise. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. You know, the writer's got his eyes uh, transfixed by God's temple. Perhaps he's, he's a long uh, way away from it on the other side of the world. I don't know, perhaps he can, he can actually physically see it in front of him uh, from the city walls. But wherever he is, he's not there exactly. And it captures his heart, though. It lifts him up. He soars as he thinks about it. It's so lovely, verse 1, he says. His heart longs for it, even faints for it. Everything in him sings for joy as he considers it, verse 2. In verse 3, he even imagines the birds. Do you notice that? Oh, to be a bird that has a home in this temple, that nests in the altars. That's where he wants to be, in God's temple, God's house. Verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Now, yes, he's, he's got in view uh, that physical temple in Jerusalem with huge stone walls, dusty courtyards. But, but God's people have always known that that temple was a, a picture of God's heavenly temple. You get hints of it here. God is called the Lord of hosts repeatedly through the psalm. And the, the hosts are often refers to all of God's angels in heaven. You also get the sense of eternity in verse 4, ever singing your praise. It's forever. Now, yes, he wants to be in the physical temple, but only because that's a glimpse of the heavenly temple. It's the place of glory. But he doesn't long for it because he just likes the architecture or or even the location of the temple. No, verse 1, it's the place where God dwells. He doesn't long for just any old courts. Verse 2, it's the courts of the Lord. God himself, that's who his heart longs for. He longs to be close to God. He longs to be near to him. He wants to sing his praises and declare God's glory. He longs for the place because he longs for the person. Like wanting to be home because your parents are there or or wanting to be at the park because your friend will be there. God is where all our joys and wonders find their source, find their goal, find their satisfaction. We're made for him. He, all that is good, he's holy and glorious, the joy of the whole world. Now, all our 
uh, joys in our present life, they just they point to Him. You know, like the, the joy of, a, of being a child safe in your mother's arms, or enjoying tasty food with a great friend, or, or seeing the starlit sky, or the, the, a, a sunset dressed in brilliant colors. These joys, they're real. They're real, yes, but they're like samples you get at the supermarket. They point beyond to the source of all joy, the infinite trinity, the glorious God of heaven, the creator of everything that is true and beautiful and good. Only in his presence will praise last forever. Only in his courts will our heart and flesh sing for joy and never run dry. Only in his house will we find rest and peace and forgiveness. Often in the, the hardships or monotonies of life, we get, we get confused and, and mixed up, don't we? we? We know we long for something else, somewhere else, and so we find other places to put our hopes upon. Perhaps for you at this moment, you just, just long for a holiday. I don't know, a holiday somewhere hot on golden sands, or, or perhaps you just want to be with your family or a loved one. Perhaps you don't mind where it is as long as it's not here just want to escape. Now, those things aren't necessarily wrong to one. Please hear me say that. The world is to be enjoyed. Family is to be, um, uh, to be seen. Escape might well be needed. But what the problem is, is we try and make those things bear a weight they can't hold. You know, we load them up with all the, the longings of our hearts, all our hopes, all our dreams, all our desire for eternal joy and lasting peace, and they just can't bear the weight. Perhaps you've experienced that. They just crumble under it. They disappoint. They don't last. And that's simply because they're not the eternal gods. Because they aren't infinite and deeply beautiful. They aren't an everlasting ocean of joy. You know, it's like drinking water from a sewage pipe uh, hoping it's going to quench your thirst. Or, or it's like trying to get the full cinematic experience by watching a film on your phone with five quid headphones on a train. Okay? It's putting hopes on something that was never meant to bear that weight. No, when our hearts long for something greater, we need the psalmist to show us what we're longing for. We long for the God of heaven. We long for his pure delights, his joyous presence. And, and even though we, we get tasters of that presence, hints of that joy, our, our fallen world and, and sinful hearts means that this is, this is only a full experience that we're going to get in the future. We hope for it. It's yet to come. And Scripture shows us that it will be fully brought about in the new creation. That's what we're looking forward to. When the world isn't ruined by our sin, when God will dwell with man, actually his dwelling place is going to come down to us. Heaven will come to earth. There'll no longer be any separation. There'll no longer be any unseen, only glimpse by faith. No, it's going to be more real than we can imagine. More real than the chair you're sitting on right now. More real than the, the breathing of your lungs that you can feel and hear. And we're not there yet. We know that. So we sing... How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. We sing. We sing in faith. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And we long for it. 
We long for the place because we long for the person. Blessed are those who dwell with God. But if we're not there yet, if the truly blessed life is yet to come, what does that mean for the present? Surely we need God's blessing even to get there. Well, well, absolutely. And in verses 5 to 8, we see this. We see blessed are those who are strengthened by God on the way. Blessed are those who are strengthened by God on the way. You see that verse 5 straight away. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. And whose heart are the highways to Zion? God is not just there in the future, but he is our strength in the present to get us there. We taste the future now. And his strength, it says, is like having highways in our hearts. That's an extraordinary phrase, isn't it? Now this psalm, if you remember, was sung by people. It's a longing for the temple, longing to be with God. And perhaps they were on their way there as they sung it. Pilgrims on a pilgrimage, perhaps for a great festival in Jerusalem, perhaps from from exile itself. And this word highways, it seems to be pointing to that route that they're on, the track they're taking, the well-walked route towards the temple of God. You know, you can picture it with the stony uh, path, the marked way. And to have this highway in our hearts it's having that root on our hearts. It's to be strengthened by God. It's to, it's to know we're on our way to be with them, with him. Whatever is going on in our lives, we know the direction we're heading. We're heading to the courts of the Lord. It keeps us focused. Just the other week, I was, I was coming back from London by train. It's a seven-hour journey. Uh, but knowing, knowing I was on my way home, Having the, in a sense, the, the train route on my heart, that, that gives perspective, it gives, it gives hope and perseverance, doesn't it? Highways to Zion in our hearts. And God not only strengthens us with that focus, he also strengthens us by refreshing us with his presence. Verse 6, uh, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. You know, as, as, as pilgrims, people with God as their strength, as they, as they walk through life, somehow waters of life begin to flow. The dry and dusty places start to flower and blossom. That's the image here, isn't it? The, the, in the arid valley, springs pour out, and the early rains drench the cracked ground. Now, the valley of Baca, it might be a real place. Well, Baca also sounds like the Hebrew word for weeping. Even in the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. Even in dark places, dry places, life-giving water flows. He refreshes us. It's God's strength that does this. Other source of strength we just go to can't reverse the desert, can they? The resources are just too small. Perhaps like turning to our inner reserves, like Johnny Gibson talked about last week. But actually in the dark, dry valleys of life, inner resources can't, they can't do it, can they? They can't fuel springs of water. You know, when, when we're parched inside, what we need is, is water from outside of us. Refreshing to come from springs out from the hillside. Or perhaps in difficult times, we turn to friends or church family and leaders. And they can be a great support, can't they? We all know the blessing of church family. 
But remember, they're just they're, they're co-pilgrims with you. They are also on the way walking with you. Their resources are limited too. Or perhaps we rely on circumstances. We're just in a good place right now, like our good health or a, a patch of happy times, a season of good friendship and joy. But let's remember, they don't help us when we come into other valleys, when we come into other seasons. Good health now won't help me in the valley of sickness. Wealth won't help me now in the valley of poverty. And they won't point me to the destination, to the temple courts of God. We need a source of strength outside of us. God himself. And it's as we have God's strength, a strength outside of us that we're able to go from strength to strength, verse 7. Highways in our hearts, focused and refreshed. But notice as God's water pours out, so verse 6, they make it a place of springs. Did you notice that? God's strengthening actually blesses others through them. The blessed life is receiving from God, so then we might give out. We begin not just to take, but to give, to bring life-giving waters into the valleys. How he grows lives of service in us for the good of others. We, we spend ourselves as channels for that water we love. You know, just think of someone you know who has been strengthened by God. Have a think now, a fellow pilgrim. But just think of their life and, and you'll have tasted God's refreshing waters through them. You know, perhaps they're a saint who has a, a calm peace about them. Perhaps they listen to your questions patiently and kindly, giving wise answers when you seek them. Perhaps you've just been touched by someone's generosity, a gift of money, a gift of time. That's the blessed life of God overflowing to you. They have highways in their hearts. They long for the presence of God. They're strengthened by him, and so they make valleys a place of springs. Blessed are those who are strengthened by God on the way. But the psalmist doesn't just want us to sing of strength for the walk. He also wants us to sing of how we walk. And here we turn to the last facet of the blessed life, and it's this. Blessed are those who trust in God and his way. Blessed are those who trust in God and his way. This is verses 9 to 12, and it's, it's there in the last verse. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Now these verses start strangely. I don't know if you notice verse 9. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. It kind of comes out of nowhere. The, the psalmist prays for his king. He calls him a shield, and God's anointed. That's God's Messiah or Christ. Now, why does that suddenly become the focus? Well, let's explore the next few verses, and we'll come back to it, because verse 10 gives us the reason for praying for the king, starting with 4. And the song returns again to being in God's house in his temple. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. God's dwelling place is best. We've, we've seen this, haven't we? Even a day here is better than thousands elsewhere. Nothing compares. But the song is bringing something new to the table, something else for us to consider, and it's the fact that a life on the road, a life heading to God's presence forever, is actually a life that is to be lived rightly. It's a life of moral uprightness. Suddenly, verse 10, do you notice the comparison is to the tents of wickedness. 
the choice is not just an issue of location. It's a choice of living God's way or living in wickedness. Or in verse 11, no good thing does God withhold from who? From those who walk uprightly. The pilgrim way is one of uprightness. And how's that defined? Verse 12, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Trust. Trust is it's often a, it's a picture of putting your weight upon something, like trusting a bridge. But I think there's more to it than that here. It's also a picture of following. Trust involves moral decisions. It's a, it's a trust of what's best and what's not, what's right and what's wrong. In Proverbs, Solomon says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. That helps us there. Trust is it's leaning on God's understanding. It's leaning on God's view of the world, what he says is good, not what we might think is good. And then we seek to live our lives in light of that. It's just like taking directions. Think of it like that. If you're in a place, okay, and you, you don't know, uh, and you say to someone, how do I get to the supermarket? Okay, now, when they give you directions, you, you've got to decide, do you trust them or not? Or are they kind of having you on? Because uh, trust isn't just asking them. Trust then involves actually driving or walking the way they've just said. And with God, he shows us the best way to live, the way of uprightness, the way of truth and goodness. And trust means we walk in that direction that he's shown. Highways are in our hearts. We, we walk them as God means us to walk them. Will we walk them? And it's a no-brainer. Verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Isn't that amazing? You can walk God's ways because of who God is. And he is good. He's like the sun. He brings warmth and nourishment. He's like a shield bringing protection and care. He is good. He gives favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold. God is good. So what he has for you is good. That's why it's better to be in the courts of God than anywhere else. Because God is good. He's better. He provides and protects. He blesses and bestows. But the thing is, what God says is good doesn't always match with what we think is good or what we want to be good. You know, the tents of wickedness don't just sit there saying, you know, we're really bad. Don't follow us. You know, we'll lead you astray. You know, of course not. It's pretty bad advertising, isn't it? No, um, temptations are attractive. They whisper to our desires. They allure us like a fountain of melting chocolate. I realized I used a similar analogy this morning of chocolate alluring us. Perhaps it says something about me. But um, So, you know, any hint of denying those desires, any hint of saying, no, of self-control, of taking a different path. Well, that just, just smacks of missing out, doesn't it? It just makes God into someone who, who takes, not gives, like a mean parent. But no, listen to the promise. God does not withhold anything good. So that means instead he withholds what is bad. Let's just think of his, uh, some of his instructions saying, you know, don't, don't get drunk, okay? What's that doing? It's taking away danger, addiction, chaos, and giving a sound mind and attentiveness to the world. Saying don't sleep with people outside of marriage is, is withholding pain and broken families 
and abortion and unwanted pregnancies, and in, instead it's protecting hearts and lives leading to flourishing. Saying don't tell lies, well, it's, that's withholding deception. And it's giving to us trust and honesty and truth. God is good. But sometimes it may feel like we aren't experiencing that goodness, isn't it? Sometimes we try and we walk upright path, but it feels like it makes life harder. Perhaps we lose friends over it. That's where we have to remember the future focus, don't we? The road may be painful and hard. It is a sacrifice. It is a cost. But there's glory at the end of it. Being with God himself, even when it's hard, God's got something better for you. But it might not be yet. Blessed are those who trust in God and his way. But as we talk about this, we know, we know there might be blessing there, but we all know we might have rejected God's way. Oh, how we struggled on his way. We might know God is good, yet we've slipped back into the tents of wickedness. As we've seen the goodness of God, we've just quietly turned our backs and walked the other way. We're, we're, we're a little bit like football glory supporters. You know, they, they pick one team, uh, they like one year, and then another team they pick the next, uh, and another team the next year, and they flip-flop between them. Perhaps that, similar to your experience, we're the same. We pick whatever feels best at the time, don't we? We, we head towards the temple of God, and then we, we go towards the tent of wickedness. We're weak and sinful, and this is all of us. There isn't some breed of perfect Christian of course, there are Christians who are walking more and more like Christ, but no one has walked God's ways all the time, have we? We know even in our best moments, we're proud, self-centered. Just a moment later, we ruin it. Blessed, yes, that's what I want, Lord. I want the blessed life. But how can that blessing be mine? I just fail and fail and fail. And that's why verse 9 sits there. We need a king. All of verses 10 and 12, actually the whole psalm depends on verse 9. Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. God, we, we need you to look on our king, to show your favor to the Messiah, to bless our shield. Why, verse 10, for a day in your courts is better. For, for we want to be in your courts. We want to be there, not in wickedness. We need a king to lead us. We need him to bring us to the temple courts of God. We are weak, but a good king will get us there. And we have that king. Just think of these three blessings. Blessed is the one who dwells with God. Jesus Christ, right now, is in in, dwelling in heaven itself. He rose, he's seated in the heavenly places. His death was the altar. His new life and ascension brought him into God's eternal temple forever. He can lead us there because he's already there. One of the amazing things about that is he brings us with him. He is raised, so we are raised. He is there, and so united to him, we're somehow already there waiting for him to return. We need a king and we have one. Think of blessed is the one who's strengthened by God. Christ always reliant on God himself, guided by him, setting his focus on the end goal, not, not trusting in other things. Always being a refreshing uh, presence to those around him. And so what does he do? He refreshes us by his spirit. He focuses us. He keeps us. He pours his power and love into our hearts, taking us from strength to strength that we might appear before God one day. We need a king and we have one. 
Blessed is the one who trusts in God. Jesus has done this perfectly, hasn't he? Christ never went to the tents of the wicked, but lived an incredibly loving and holy life. You know, just reading of it in the Gospels, you just see his godliness, his humility. And so since we are in Christ, God does not withhold anything good from us. We're bestowed favor and honor, not because of our own merits, but all because of Jesus Christ. He is our son. He is our shield. We can sing this psalm in hope and faith because we have a king who's fulfilled it perfectly. It is good news. If you want the blessed life today, if you want to know what it is to be in the house of God, to be strengthened by him, trusting his goodness, then you need a king to lead you there. If you're not a Christian here this evening, it's so good to have you with us. Please hear this. Being a Christian isn't just some kind of self-help thing. It's not just here to give you steps to make your life better. No, instead, it's to meet the living God through Jesus Christ, his son. It's to find the source of all good things through a person, Jesus Christ, the son of God, who 2,000 years ago became man lived and died for our sins, rose again to bring us to God, to bring us into his heavenly courts forever. At its heart, it's relational. It's between you and Jesus Christ so you might know God forever. So come to him. If that's you this evening, can I urge you to to stop trusting in your own resources, but to admit they won't hold you. But instead, come to Jesus Christ and to ask him to bring you to God. And if you are a Christian, this is our hope. To be with God forever through Jesus Christ. So keep your eyes fixed on him. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. Because that's where the blessed life lies. Because it's with Christ we start to yearn more and more for God's presence. It's with Christ we begin to rely more and more on his present help. It's in Christ we see and want to trust in his good ways. They're all because of him. They're all found in him. He is our shield. And there are two ways he he can show himself to us through his spirit. It's in his word and in his sacraments. Through the, the words of the Bible read and preached, through the the waters of baptism, the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. And as we read his word, as we, on our own and with others, he meets us. And especially as we gather together like this evening, hear his word preached to us. We come to know him. And later, as we we taste bread and wine, what does he do? He focuses us again on himself. He reminds us of the highways to Zion in our hearts. We taste the courts of the Lord that we long for. He lifts our hearts to the goodness of God. He shows us what the blessed life looks like. So as we come to the table in a moment, Christ's table, come in faith knowing that it's in him we find blessing. He welcomes us. Because blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. Amen.